Hello and welcome to Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. Well, we know that everything old is new again, and uh, people are so interested in heirloom tomatoes and heirloom vegetables and heirloom bulbs. And today we're going to talk to Scott Kuntz from Old House Gardens, the only mail-order source devoted entirely to heirloom bulbs. Our guest today is Scott Kunst, who is the owner and head gardener of Old House Gardens Heirloom Bulbs. And as you say, heirloom bulbs for every garden. Hello, Scott. Hey, good morning, Ken. I'm, I'm thrilled to speak with you as often as I can in the fall, although we could talk in the spring, too, because you certainly, <laughs> you certainly have many things to plant in the spring. And I'm not going to start with my question about that first, because it's your 20th anniversary. Congratulations. Hey, thanks. I, uh, yeah, I sort of started this uh, crazy idea. You know, who knows? Maybe something will happen. Other people out there might be interested in these great old bulbs that uh, are slipping towards extinction. And, uh, yeah, suddenly you find yourself 20 years later, and, wow, it, uh, it feels momentous to me. I know if, I, if my business was a, a human being, uh, he wouldn't even be able to drink legally yet. But uh, 20 years for this small business seems like a real milestone. Let's hope he'd be in college <laughs> and doing yes, well. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> We'd be drunk every weekend. But... <laughs> well, uh, in... Uh, well, I guess I'd, I'd like to hear the Cliff Notes version of Old House Garden's story. When I see the catalog now and and then uh, up on your website, uh, you have some pictures of some, I guess your earliest mailings were a couple of pages. Yeah, that's right. I just started, um, you know, I was, <clears throat> I've always been a gardener. I've always been interested in history, starting with dinosaurs when I was a kid. Um, and I bought a little old house, my first old house, and I was so excited to have an old house. I never, in my own space, the garden, however I liked, I never really thought about somebody else having gardened there for 100 years, too. And I found some interesting plants in the yard, like a single white peony. And at that point in my life, I didn't even know peonies came as singles. So I got interested, researched the history of my own yard, and started collecting uh, heirloom plants in general. And gradually the bulbs that I loved uh, started to drop out of the mainstream catalog. So uh, finally the last catalog dropped my very favorite tulip, Prince of Austria, which is ravishingly fragrant and returned in my garden better than any tulip I'd ever grown. And I thought, you know, I sort of felt like, wow, do I have the last two dozen giant pandas here in my backyard? Can I really just, you know, hope they'll make it and not do anything to try to save them? So I launched this little tiny catalog. It was just three sheets of paper the first year that I copied at Kinko's. And, you know, I think about making that catalog. I literally, you know, copied on the Xerox machine at Kinko's and cut and pasted with real glue to make the um, <laughs> a master and took it to them, and they ran 500 copies, and we mailed them out, and uh, it's grown since then. Uh, who did you mail them to? You know, that first year, I was a member of the Southern Garden History Society and the New England Garden History Society. So, as I recall, they allowed me to mail to their membership list. Well, you've always been interested in historic preservation, mm -hmm. and uh, and I, I guess you you went to school for that, too, I think. Oh, I'm an English major, oh. like uh, a million people. But, um <laughs> I ended up going back to school to get a master's degree in historic preservation. Right, right. Um, about when I, and then I started working as a landscape historian, helping people uh, research and restore their gardens or museum house gardens. 
and uh, that led me to plants because turns out a lot of people <coughs> who are into uh, gardening history are more really interested in the design, and I was more interested in the plants. Mm. And if they make a design that is historic and then fill it with the latest petunias, it re it doesn't really resonate. Yeah, exactly. It's like putting up uh, you know a modern stainless steel refrigerator in the antique kitchen at the museum house. It's sure it's a refrigerator, but uh, <laughs> it's a way different thing. And I keep trying to advocate for historic sites to see, you know, historic plants as part of their mission too. Um, you know, private gardeners can't be the only, or a few, you know, rare botanic gardens here and there can't be the only conservators of historic garden plants. I, I really think uh, historic sites ought to be taking these plants under their wings too. Not that they're going to preserve all of them, but if every small historic house museum across the United States took it as part of their mission to preserve one of these um, disappearing historic varieties. How wonderful would that be? Well, you made me think of too many things, and I'm going to go back to your analogy with the modern stainless steel refrigerator, because I, in many cases, some of these old bulbs are actually kind of better than the new bulbs. So uh, going back to the yeah. old refrigerator, which may not be too efficient, uh, I mean, you know, modern tulips, a lot of them, you plant them and they don't come back. And some yeah. of the old ones, as you mentioned even before, they do come back. They are perennial. Yeah, you know, um, I love new things. And if you talk to my wife, you know, like one of our <clears throat> standing jokes is that when we go into the restaurant, she's going to order the things she knows she likes, and I'm going to look at the weirdest thing on the menu because I'm always looking for something new to try. So I, lo I love new plants. Don't get me wrong. Um, but one great advantage old plants have is they really have been time-tested. I think anyone who's been gardening very long remembers when this or that was the great new plant of the year and all the garden centers had it, and then five years later it's completely disappeared because once everyone was growing it, we discovered its bad points or its weaknesses. Whereas a plant that's been around for 500 years in gardens, you think, oh, my gosh, uh, I guess that is an adaptable, tough, enduring plant. And if it's also gorgeous, then, hey, let's grow it. When you were talking about historic houses and historic house gardens, and uh, I don't know if you if you feel this or if you've noticed it, but there seems to be, for some reason, for many reasons, a kind of a trend to for towards garden restoration in the United States. Have you noticed that? Yeah, but probably differently than you can, because you know, I thirty years ago I hung out my shingle as a landscape historian. So at that point I was charged up about preserving historic landscapes and I was networking with people who were trying to save old gardens. Um and that was thirty years ago. So, you know, when I was a young man I uh, I sort of thought, wow, um everybody's gonna see the light, you know, that uh, <laughs> we need to preserve historic buildings and neighborhoods and historic downtowns and, and there's just a lot of value in that it enriches our our sense of who we are it adds diversity to our daily lives and people are going to understand that about gardens too so 30 years later i'm seeing yeah garden conservancy and so on i i do think the pace is starting to pick up a little bit but um it's a slow process, a slow growth. You know, one thing I was thinking about, Ken, though, was there's certainly been a boom of interest in 
heirloom vegetables. Mm-hmm. Again, something I was interested in 30 years ago, and plenty of other people were too. But now, you know, you go to the supermarket, and there's heirloom tomatoes, and people are excited about them. That's very mainstream. I look forward to the day when um, historic flowers and gardens uh, enter the mainstream to that degree. Well, I suppose it's possible when there have been other periods in in our recent history when people have become interested in growing food, they often end up growing ornamental plants because they realize they can get the food at the supermarket and yeah. growing it is not very easy and feeding your soul is easier and as rewarding as uh, growing a tomato. I agree with you there. I used to grow vegetables and loved them, but my yard got shadier, but the bigger thing was <clears throat> we've got a great farmer's market here in town, and I love buying from those guys and supporting you know, the farmers. And, um, um, yeah, if I can get a great melon or corn or green beans at the market every Saturday, why not put flowers in the little bit of space I have in my own backyard and, like you say, feed my soul. Right. I'm speaking with Scott Kunz, the owner and head gardener of Old House Gardens Heirloom Bulbs for Every Garden. And Scott sells unique and endangered or threatened and amazing bulbs that you really can't get, many of them you cannot get anywhere else. And we're talking about bulbs, and which of course means tulips and daffodils and the minor bulbs and all sorts of things like that, and lilies. But also you, you sell other things, especially in the fall, like peonies. Yeah, a few years ago... Um... One of the difficulties in my business, and you know, a 20th anniversary you celebrate, but I also cast my eye by it. <clears throat> excuse me, and, and uh, I noticed the failures too. Things, despite my best efforts, slipped through our fingers. <clears throat> um, so I decided a few years ago to cast a little bit wider net and to bring a few other bulb-like maybe uh, flowers into our arc. Peonies, um, because they're usually sold bare root or traditionally, they were often included in bulb catalogs in the past because a bulb's dormant and a peony root's dormant too. You both plant them in the fall, um, and there are so many great uh, historic peonies out there. So we've been offering a rotating selection, um, a couple, maybe the same every year, great Festiva Maxima and so on, but... Um, we try to add about five new ones every year. So this year we have one um, I'm especially excited about called Francis Willard from 1907, uh, Minnesota bred and really disappearing um, from the, the garden scene. Um, but we managed to grab the last few hundred from a, a small uh, wholesale nursery in Iowa mm. and got them to a grower we work with so we can keep that variety going. But we also have Mrs. Franklin D. Roosevelt this fall, which is um, a, a luscious light pink peony with just exquisite form. Um, that's I've been looking for it for three years, and finally this fall is the first time we've been able to offer it. So I'm excited about that. Well, you mentioned that you had a, a grower in Iowa, and I know that you have to import a lot of the bulbs from the Netherlands mm-hmm. and from other countries too. But right. uh, one thing that you're doing that a lot of other companies do not do is having is buying from U.S. growers, and I'm not just being xenophobic. I think it's really exciting. I mean, if if you don't get by them, then these people aren't going to grow them. So you're really promoting and supporting a, a tiny industry that has potential for growth. 
Yeah, I, you know, I think of it, to me it's local. Um, to me it's part of it. It's like a farmer's market to me. If um, I can get wonderful bananas at the supermarket, but if I can get wonderful green beans that were grown 10 miles away from here and support one of my neighbors out on the farm, um, and they're fresher and maybe uh, less, uh, you know, pesticide residue on them, um, I'm, I'm all for that. And so we've been trying to do that with our bulbs since the beginning, partly because the Dutch bulb trade, it's really a mass market uh, over there. They're growing bulbs the way we grow soybeans or, or you know, feed corn by the acres. And uh, the rare things that I was interested in um, just don't fit within that system very well. So we, from the very beginning, had to find small growers here in the United States and overseas as well um, that were growing these, you know, sort of artisanal small batch bulbs that uh, were of interest to us. And a few years ago, we started growing some here in Ann Arbor ourselves. I'd been looking for a farm for a long time, and and that just never panned out. But uh, finally, we decided, hey, there's lots of little scraps of vacant lot here in the center of Ann Arbor. Um, And so we talked some owners into letting us, uh, you know, like that vacant lot. It doesn't need to just have weeds on it. We can grow uh, daffodils there and iris and harvest and sell them. So we've been doing that for a a few years, and that's been a lot of fun. That's incredible. Um, I'm so interested in hearing about that. Uh, it's too much to talk about, but why don't you tell me maybe one situation like that? You know, describe one incident. Well, um, you know, uh, we moved into offering bearded iris and also antique daylilies. Daylilies, of course, are one of the signature plants of our era right now. But uh, the old varieties from a century or more ago really disappeared largely. And I could not find a grower who had uh, historic bearded iris or historic daylilies in any quantity. So I realized if I was going to offer them, I needed to grow them myself. And um, we'd already been doing some of that because my neighbor's backyard, um, we were trialing our bulbs in, started in his little tiny abandoned vegetable garden and he loves it so much he finally talked us into basically digging up his whole backyard for a garden. <laughs> and uh, we sort of built on that model. So we just, you know, we have a cart that we drag <laughs> from 3rd Street to 2nd Street or over to 1st Street. And um, we uh, dug up these backyards and vacant lots. And uh, at first I was worried because some of them are a little bit exposed, one's right off the railroad tracks. And I thought, we get vandalism or people yanking out flowers, but uh, so far, no problem. And, um, you know, the neighbors at this one garden, my crew complains because they say, man, every time we're out there working, we have to spend so much time talking to the neighbors. We, we don't get as much done as we think we're going to. But um, we figure that's part of the outreach uh, that uh, is part of our mission. So we're happy to do that, too. Well, if, you, if you're growing tulips and I guess even daffodils, too, uh, do you cut the flowers or cut the buds to grow the bulbs larger? Uh, we don't. We just let, I mean, it, we snap it off once it's done blooming. We mm-hmm. leave the stem up because that's going to keep photosynthesizing. We don't want uh, energy to go into the seeds. But, um, yeah, in the Netherlands, as soon as the flower uh, shows color and they can tell it's true, um, they walk the fields and rogue or pull out the ones that aren't white and then they just chop off all the heads but 
we're, we like flowers too much to do quite that. Well, I'm, I'm just seeing another opportunity in the market, maybe. <laughs> for oh, you. for fresh cut flowers? Uh-huh. I hadn't thought about that. Good, good. I'll jot that Especially down. Especially if you, if you get them as, in bud, then maybe people won't think about stealing them, but you can just, yeah. it will I help like the bulbs them. anyway. Sure. Well, uh, I have a couple of questions, and one is what's popular, which you're going to tell me in a minute. But uh, now you offer lilies in the fall, and you mm -hmm. offer some. Don't you also sell some lilies in the spring? We used to. You're right about that. <laughs> but um, you know, when we we kept talking to experts like you and so on, and the consensus <clears throat> was that lilies that are planted in the fall uh, establish better and do better long term. And the Dutch, with their you know advanced technology and so on, they can harvest lilies in the fall. Part of the problem with a lily is, you know, a daptyl or a tulip or a hyacinth, they bloom in the spring. The foliage goes dormant in the summer. They're fully dormant bulbs. It's easy to dig them then without any causing the bulb any problem. Lilies, on the other hand, they stay green. They bloom in the summer. They stay green till killing frost. Mm -hmm. So that makes it hard for the bulb industry to harvest them in the fall and get them to bulb sellers early. You know, Home Depot wants to have their bulbs out in August, and if you harvest lilies, then it, it's really hard on the lily. Um, so the Dutch harvest them late a lot of times, put them in cold storage high-tech over the winter and sell them in the spring, and they work pretty well like that. But um, the more natural way to do it is to... Um, is to ship them in the fall, and that's what we do. Oh, so it, it really wasn't a cultural thing. I, I thought maybe some lilies do better if they're planted in the spring, but I, I hear what you're saying. It's just just a matter of ease of harvest and also that the bulbs get ripe. So fall planting yeah. it is. So you know, a weird thing about our business, Ken, is that um, these are live plants, and, and they're programmed they have their own needs. You can only, it's not like a widget that you can produce year round, put on the shelf. If you don't sell them, save them till next year. And sometimes new gardeners especially kind of forget that. And, and they do want to plant their lilies in January and June and any old time. Industry's tried to respond to that. If you've got a customer there looking for, to buy, it would be good to have something ready. Um, so the Dutch realize most people plant most uh, plants in the spring, why not try to sell bulbs then, too? Hmm. Well, it's funny that you're saying that, too, because you, you ship in October, and uh, a lot of the books say that daffodils have to go in in September, and I can tell you so many times my daffodils have gone in in January and bloomed just fine. <laughs> yes. uh, we have a saying here in my, uh, in my office, bulbs want to grow, because we're We've gotten so many customers, from, uh, stories from customers about bulbs that, you know, they left them in the garage all winter, mm -hmm. and they threw them on the compost pile. They forgot about them, whatever, and they planted them, and they still grow and bloom. And it's that's part of what we like about gardening. I think it's um, it's inspiring. There's a lot of power to life and nature, and um, they keep giving us examples of that all the time. See, I've done all those things that you mentioned. <laughs> Garage, certainly. Uh, so are you seeing any trends? Do you see anything that's uh, emerging as being especially popular? Or are there any directions from the people who shop in your catalog? Well, good question, and I wish I could answer that better. For a while, I thought we were seeing growing interest in the hyacinths, which 
know, hyacinths, colorful, very early blooming in the garden, lavish fragrance, um, and very, I think, a charming appearance, uh, very old-fashioned looking. And, uh, yeah, I thought they were trending up for a while. I, that may have leveled off, or it's just not keeping pace with my expectations there. Um, I'm always encouraging people to try hyacinths. Um, dahlias, which are spring-planted, so we ship those in April, they continue to be very strong sellers for us. And um, I'm so happy that more and more people are discovering dahlias, the big ones that you pick for bouquets and so on. So I'd say that's a, a strong growth area right now. I'm speaking with Scott Kunst, owner and head gardener of Old House Gardens, which is one of the best places, maybe the only place that you can find heirloom bulbs for fall planting and some heirloom plants and other bulbs and tubers and rhizomes for spring planting. And we just have a few minutes left, but uh, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? But we got some new things in the catalog for this fall. Um, there's a daffodil called albatross, which I probably saw in a collection in the Netherlands 10 years ago, and I've wanted it ever since. And finally, the guy who was growing it had enough that he could share it with us this fall. So um, we get little breakthroughs like that every now and then, which get me excited. We also decided we need to start looking. Um, I, you know, I try to keep the older something is, the more I'm excited about it. But we realize with tulips, for example, where we're losing some of the great early 20th century varieties, I need to start looking at varieties from the 50s. So mm -hmm. we brought in maybe a half dozen varieties this fall to trial to see how much we like them. And um, we added a couple to the uh, catalog uh, this fall, too, that we had trialed earlier. The uh, Garden Party from the 40s and Morella, which is a lovely, interesting pink and sort of raspberry from the 50s. So I'm excited about those, about historic bulbs from a little bit closer in time. Well, I know that you ha have provided bulbs to Williamsburg, for example, and many other gardens. And I hope that many of these gardens that I see just coming along now being restored. And, and I see a small trend. Uh, and I'm sure you're in touch with most of them, but I hope that they will be in touch with you because it, we want to see these things. And I don't think it's just a matter of saving them for the sake of saving them. I think it's because they're fantastic and they're beautiful. I do too. And, yeah. And it's... I mean, if, if not, what, what's the point kind of? I mean, I guess history teaches us all kinds of things and our tastes change. Um, I always feel like, you know, I sort of feel like a, an anthropologist of, um, of flowers because um, you can say the only good food in the world is... Um, french fries and hamburgers and peanut butter sandwiches but um it's just life's so much richer when you can enjoy thai food and indonesian food and um, mexican food and german food and etc and and i look at these flowers too um you know it may not be a look that um is popular today but if you can look through the eyes of the past and see the beauty of it to those folks then it just enriches your, your opportunities and, and your life, I think. Oh, that's great. Well, Scott, I want to thank you so much for speaking with me. And, of course, we'll have a link on the kendrews.com uh, website to Old House Gardens. And it's oldhousegardens.com to learn more about the old and antique and heirloom bulbs that Scott offers. And I think some of those ones from the 1950s, maybe we'll see tulips with tail fins. <laughs> I love that idea. Okay, thanks, thanks a lot. Yep. Bye. Happy gardening. 
I think it's really interesting that Scott, after years of searching for a small farm, it was close enough and cheap enough for old house gardens to start growing their own bulbs, that they've, they've started this kind of urban farming thing going on with micro farms for heirloom bulbs in the backyards of neighbors and in, in Ann Arbor. And uh, that's, that's great. That's incredible. Can you imagine? Kind of uh, community gardens for growing bulbs. And uh, I think the, the more that we can grow heirlooms, of course, the better it is, but also the more we can grow anything, the better it is, especially if it's on a vacant lot. I'm going to try to put some of the pictures, some pictures of some of the bulbs that we talked about on the show today on the KenDrews.com radio website. So you'll be able to see some of those bulbs from the 1940s and uh, maybe even the bulb that started the whole thing. Prince of Austria, the one that uh, was from the 1860s uh, that really turned Scott on and got him into growing heirloom bulbs in the first place. Join me again next week for another edition of Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show.